praise them every Sunday and Wednesday in our lives together as a church. But today is especially important because every one of us in this room needs to have the power to cope with things. You're coping with things right now, are you not? Different kinds of things. It could be financial, mental, emotional, physical, medical, family, marriage, dating, single life, single again life. There are all kinds of things to cope with in life. And we need one another to help us cope together. But most importantly, we need the power of God to help you and me cope. C-O-P-E. Now, what does cope mean? It literally means to contend, to fight for something that you believe in, something worthwhile. To cope is to contend, like in boxing, a contender. To be a contender means you have the power to cope with things that are going on in your life. And what enables you to cope is the power of hope. And we help each other. I have an example right here of us helping one another to cope and to hope. Someone gave me this card right before church. It's addressed to Gateway. Thank you all for your continuous prayers. God showed up and got me through because of you. That's the beginning and the end of it. God gets us through. But how does God work? He works through us. He works through scriptures. He works through the mighty Holy Spirit. He works through your faith and your willingness to put your hope <clears throat> and trust in God. So new hope helps you cope. And you and I need to renew our hope every single day to have cope power. And, and we need it right now. Right now, life is going on. That's why we need cope power now. What is life like? What is life like? Life is like a sneeze. You can't get it back. It's just the way it is. Yesterday's gone. Breakfast is over. Glory days behind you. What about the glory days ahead? When you sneeze, it's over. Life happens one minute at a time, one day at a time. And God wants you to have the cope power through hope to help you cope in your life. As a matter of fact, our entire nation, not to mention the world, our nation, our families, our men, our women, are, ought to be on prayer alert. The sirens ought to be going off alert to our nation, to us men, to the women, to the kids, to the teens, because we are contending right now for the very soul of our lives in America, for our nation, and right where we live, in our house, on our street, in our neighborhood, in our city. It's a hope and cope alert, and that's what I'm standing off right now today. I'm sounding the alert. Hope brings cope, and God enables you to do this. Now, what is hope? It could be defined a lot of ways, and we'll talk about it as we go along, but hope, H-O-P-E, 
is heaven's opportunity for people everywhere. There is nobody on planet earth that God will not hope and help, give hope and help. Nobody who exercises faith in him. We have opposition, we have problems, but for our opposition are opportunities. We use our opportunities to help us enhance and enrich our life. Now, sometimes people say, well, God, if you'll show me, then I'll believe, then I'll have coke power. But that's not how God works. God says, you believe, then I'll show you. That's how it is in the Christian life. God doesn't show you everything in advance. He doesn't answer every question, solve every problem, fix everything up just perfectly for you. He's waiting for you to exercise faith and hope. Then he'll show you, and not before. This is a spiritual law from the Bible, and God wants you to have that hope power. It makes a difference between a pessimist and an optimist. Which are you? A pessimist <clears throat> makes difficulties out of his or her opportunities. But an optimist makes opportunities out of his or her difficulties. You got di di difficulties? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to handle them? How are you going to overcome them? You need hope. And only God can give you that hope. He's the one who provides. So the door of opportunity, as someone has well pointed out, is closed. How are you going to get through it? Well, you have to push it. You have to push the door of opportunity. If you don't push it, you're going to be a pushover for the world system, for the devil, and for the negative influences that come over your life. You'll be a pushover. You'll get pushed down. You'll be get stepped on. And you'll be unable to go on and make progress in your life. So the Bible tells us to use the opportunities that heaven sends to us. And God has sent us hope. Now, how does hope happen? Well, hope happens as you respond to God's character. When you respond to God's character, then hope begins to happen in your mind and in your spirit and in your will. When you let go of all your problems and take hold of God with both fists, then you'll find that God's power begins to reside and rest in you, and you'll start finding answers and direction and the pathway to progress and the pathway to life for each step you take. Just remember, God says, believe, then I'll show you. Believe me, then I'll show you. After belief comes what God can do. So God wants you to let go of the world system, let go of any hope you have in other things, and put your full trust and hope in God. It's like one man said about hope and making a choice for God. He said, well, the way it happened for me is this. The Lord, the Lord God Almighty of heaven, voted for me. And then after he voted for me, the devil voted against me. 
And then I decided that I was going to vote for myself with God, so I voted for God. And that's how I won the battle, he said. I broke the tie. I cast the deciding vote. That's how it is in the Christian life. We vote. We respond to God. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, thank you, Bobby. The, Bobby, the, the, the Bible says, Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Excuse me just a minute. Here's to you. So in the Bible, in Psalm 62, we see one man's testimony of how he coped with all the things that had happened to him. Before we read it, I want to remind you that everything that happened to the man we're going to be looking at today, I'll tell you his name in a few minutes, he was responsible for most of those things negatively that happened to him. There was no way he could blame God blame others. We are good at the blame game, aren't we? But there was no way he could blame others for the problems he encountered. Now, it is true that sometimes other people cause us problems, but most of the times it's a self-made job. We do it to ourselves. Like the man cleaning his gun and shot himself in the foot. It wasn't his wife's fault. It wasn't the gun's fault. It was his fault shot himself in the foot. And so the Bible tells us that we have to take responsibility for our own lives. So Psalm 62, you turned there a moment ago. I'm here now. This is the passage in the Bible that you could read over and over and over again, and every time you would get something new and life-building from it. So we're going to read it. Then we'll come back and look at it in some detail. Psalm 62. By the way, this was written by a great songwriter. His name was David. He's the guy who's got the problems. David was a great, psalm, uh, a great songwriter. He was also a great giant killer. At age 17, he killed a giant. Before coming to age 17, and when he was 14 and 15 and 16, he killed bears. He killed the wild animals that threatened his sheep, his shepherd alike. He was a courageous guy. The Bible says he was ruddy, he was strong, he was handsome. But the most important thing about him was that he had a heart for God. He had a heart that was beating for God. Every pulse said, I believe, I believe, I believe. And yet this same man who had a great heart for God had a problem. He let down his guard. Like what's happening to you and what will happen to you and what has happened to you flow from your heart, the way you respond to it, the issues of your life. So you must guard your heart and keep it close to God. Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God, says David. Oh, did I mention that he was also a king? He ruled for 40 years. 40 years. What a man of experience we're listening to today. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. 
you might want to circle those words truly. When somebody says truly or truly or surely more than once, you know they're making a real emphasis of this. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. This is on the day of his new hope. How long, he now he's speaking to the world, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor that depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Surely, the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are all are but a lie. If weighed in the balance, they are nothing. In other words, the highborn and the lowborn are all alike before God. He looks at their hearts. Together they are only a breath, speaking about that sneeze I mentioned a moment ago. Remember that? He says they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion. That means trying to obtain favor by forcing things to happen. Don't try to force it. Do it by faith. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Through, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Then he concludes, One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. What a combination. Power and love. Power and love. God is powerful. God is loving. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. There's a reward in putting your hope in God. The Bible says that what we do is extremely important. Now, he's not talking here about trying to save yourself by good deeds or good works. We're saved by grace. But what he is talking about is after you become a Christian, it's what you do that brings you rewards. Not what you think primarily, not what you feel primarily, but it's what you do. Jesus, as I've said many times, was a man of action. He was not a philosopher. He was a doer. And God says for us to follow him, to think well, to do well, to do. And it was because of this action that David took that he was able to cope and have new hope in his life. So the Bible gives us this amazing passage in Psalm 62. So let's talk about how David got through his problems. When David wrote this, he was feeling pretty low. And I've chosen this passage because it represents mankind to the best degree I can think of in varying degrees. This is not a man who had it all easy. He's not a man who was perfect, even though he was a man after God's own heart. When he let his guard down, he failed. He was feeling really low. 
he felt weak. How did he say it? He, uh, he felt like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. You have any fences at home that need repair? A fence that's about to fall down, that's tottering, that needs rescue. David said, that's how I feel. I'm leaning. And if you're a conservative, you're leaning to the right. (laughs) But you're leaning. You're tottering. You're wondering. You're having anguish. You've got questions. You're having a self-confidence crisis. You're in a batting slump. You're in a moral dilemma. You're wondering, which way do I go? What do I do? How do I handle this? And that was David. And I'm going to tell you about his problems. I told you all those wonderful things about his life. Let me tell you the dark side. One night, he saw a beautiful, shapely, sexy woman taking a bath. And immediately his lust overcame him. He dropped his guard. And he had sex with that woman who was married. He knew it was wrong, but he did it. And then, because he was so afraid of people finding out, he had that woman's husband. Remember her name? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was taking a bath, and David saw her. He had Bathsheba's husband killed in battle, sent him to the front of the lines, knowing he would die that day. Then he had that on his conscience. But he wouldn't listen to his conscience. He wouldn't let God speak to him through his conscience. And for more than a year, he hid this. He covered it up. Now it was becoming obvious that Bathsheba was pregnant. And when the prophet Nathan came to David and pointed that finger at him and said, you're the man who's caused all this sin to happen. He repented. He changed. He cried. He wept. He wrote songs about his dilemma. And when he got caught, he repented. That's how it is for a lot of people. Most people, even smart people, make a dumb mistake. They don't repent immediately. They repent once they've gotten caught. That's not a good time to repent. It is time, but it's not the best time. Repent immediately, right now, and come to God. Go to God. Take God's hope for your life. Now, once this happened and the word got out, and David and Bathsheba had a baby, and the baby died. David was king. Now his own family turned against him. His people working in the government with him turned against him. Former friends turned against him. It was a lonely life, hard and tough. He was trying to regain his balance. But his feelings, his feelings, he couldn't shake them because he wasn't cleansed yet and taking all of it to God. And his failures caused those feelings of remorse until he was able to get rid of them. That's what failure does to us. When we fail mentally or emotionally or morally, it affects our psyche, our conscience. And he failed because he was faithless. He was faithless at a critical time in his life. By the way, that's how the devil works. 
Is there a devil? Yes, there is. You say there's not a devil? Then I have a question for you. If there's no devil, then who? And the devil is doing the devil's work. Because there's some devil work being done in the world today. More evil than we've ever seen in our world. More. Not a little. Not even a lot. Maximum world evil. The Bible tells us there's a spirit of evil that's overcome. And we overcome evil with good. And that's what David had to learn. But he failed because he was faithless at a critical moment. And he had a hard time getting over it mentally and emotionally. He didn't know if he could go on or not. He was like in quicksand. He was sinking. And he called out to God for help. And he got his heart right with God. And the worst thing about his life at that point was his fixation. His mind was fixed on his weakness, his past. He couldn't see the future for the past. He couldn't live in the present because of the past. He was fixed on it. And God had to come in and smash that fixation. Some of us can't sleep at night because our brains are fixed on the past. Mistakes, failures, moral dilemmas. We can't get rest. We're fixed because we don't have enough faith to look to God to break down those barriers and overcome the things that are trying to take us down. And so David was in this horrible, horrible position. But what did he do? What did he do? He put his hope in God. Finally, he woke up. He woke up. He saw how his fixations and his failures and his fears and his feelings were driving him crazy. They were ruining him. He couldn't lead his country. He couldn't bring his family together. He couldn't live with himself because he was a man. Now listen to me. He was a man of integrity. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor, you just messed up. You just said David was a man of integrity. Does a man of integrity commit adultery? Does a man of integrity break the bonds? Does a man of integrity break his own conscience? Yes, a man of integrity can do that. He can. David was a man after God's own heart. He went after God. He believed in God in his heart. But he broke down when he went against his own conscience. But he was a man of integrity, and that's why he came back. He came back from it. He made a comeback. He contended. He got into the battle, and he won the battle. So, thing according to what they have done. So, what would have happened to David if he had just, if he had just done nothing, just let it all ride? What difference does it make? Maybe he said. Well, he would have gone deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit. He would have become useless. But he didn't. He stood up to his problem. He owned it. He saw himself as he really was. He looked in the spiritual mirror, in the mental mirror, in the emotional mirror, as well as the physical mirror. And one day he said, David, now stop it. Stop it. Turn around. Repent. Renew. Refresh. Go forward for yourself, for the people you love, for the people who love you. 
for the nation who needs you, for the God who cares about you. Turn it around. Turn it around. Turn it around. And that's why Psalm 62 was written. So let's go back to the beginning of it and see what he says. Because here's how it happened. Here are the facts that he turned it around with. First of all, he said in the first verses of Psalm 62, I'll give you the facts that turned him around, that helped him to cope. He said, I will not be shaken. You can add to that phrase again. I will not be shaken again. I will not let the world shake me up. He went on to say, I'm resting in God. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. Truly, truly, truly. He means for real. Now, all of a sudden, David could sleep. David could smile. David could be himself. David could get along with people. He wasn't like a porcupine. You couldn't even touch him. He was so full of anguish and irritation. He wouldn't talk to you. You call him on the phone, he'd hang up, if he had a phone. You try to get to him, but he wouldn't listen. He was just isolated. But now he was resting. He was relating. He was talking. He wasn't clamming up. He was confessing it and bringing it out and dealing with it. He said, truly, my soul finds rest in God. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. Now, David knew that he was a saved man. He knew that if he died, that day he would go to heaven. But he did not want to go and meet God with that sin in his life. That's the reason he repented and had new hope. He did not want to meet the Lord with things on his conscience and mind and heart that were not right. He did not want to meet God not doing his best for his family and for his friends and for his own life. He wanted to make it right. Finally, he said, uh, my, he is my rock and my salvation. Now, a Christian, by the way, can sin and not lose their salvation. Did you know that? A Christian, a man or woman of integrity, can sin against God and not lose your salvation. You know why that is? Because salvation is of the Lord. God saved you. You didn't save yourself. It was Jesus Christ dying on that cross, pouring out his soul and his blood to forgive your sins. That's how you're saved by grace. That'll never change. Once saved, always saved. Now somebody says, well, pastor, if I really believed that, I'd become a Christian and I'd just sin all I want to. Well, I sin all I want to. But I don't want to. Because God changed my warner. I don't want to. And when I do, I wish I hadn't. But I will tell you this, be careful, Christian. You can sin. You can go have your fling. You can go get into the stuff you want to get into, but I want to tell you something. You won't lose your salvation, but you know what you will lose? You'll lose your edge. You'll lose your clean conscience. You'll lose your joy. You'll lose the freshness and the fellowship you could have with the Lord and with God's people. You'll lose your desire to read the Bible you'll lose your desire to be joyful and happy. And the worst part is, 
you'll get the consequences of your actions. When you're a Christian and you sin, you get the consequences just as if you were the worst sinner on planet Earth. There's no special cause that God gives to Christians. Oh, you can sin and I won't let anything happen to you. That's not the way it is. When you sin, you'll get the result of it, whether you're a Christian or not. But the difference is with a Christian, you can come to God and be cleansed and made anew and have a new day of hope. A non-Christian can do that and be saved and be clean too. But don't kid yourself, Christian. David tried to kid himself and almost killed him. God wants you to live for him. So he said, God is my rock and my salvation. He went on to say, he is my fortress. Now, you know what a fortress is? A fortress is a place where you go to defend yourself. A fortress is for defense. David said, from now on, God is my fortress. I will go there to defend myself against the blasts that come against me, against the temptations and the troubles that face me, and I will work and contend. I'll cope from my fortress. I will not be defeated. I'll go into my fortress, and I'll live from that fortress. I'll have power from my place of strength to defeat the enemies. And so he went into that fortress many times. He went on to say, not only will I find rest in God, my salvation comes from him. He is my rock and my salvation. He says, I will never be shaken again. He says, he goes on to say uh, that God is his refuge. You, uh, you're my rest, you're my rock, you're my fortress, you're my honor, and you are my refuge. How many of you have ever been out to Loxahatchee Refuge? Anybody here? What is a refuge? It's a place, for example, animal refuges are for animals. What is the refuge for human beings? It's God. It's trusting God and trusting Christ. That's where you go for the refuge that you must have, for the fortress you must live in. And uh, David got rid of his frustrations. Have you ever been frustrated? I mean, really frustrated? Do you know that frustration takes a toll on you mentally? I felt frustration many times. I have frustrations in my life. Thankfully, they're not due to sin, but they're due to certain things that I wish would happen, could happen, and I'm pouring my life into them, my goals and my energy, whatever I have left. But there's frustration in life, isn't there? Have you ever faced it? Maybe in your family or your marriage? Well, when you come to God, God gives you the power to cope with frustration. The power to keep on going even though you are frustrated. Maybe it's not right at work. Maybe things aren't working out the way you wanted them to and you're frustrated. But with God's help, when you turn to Him, God will give you that hope and cope power to enable you to work through it, and you won't let it defeat you. You'll have power and strength. So David put his hope in God, and for us, 
we put our hope in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, as I mentioned earlier in Colossians 1.27, Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. We put our faith and our trust in Him. He's the one who gives us the power of hope. And so we have to believe. We must believe. Maybe you say, I'm already a believer. I'm a Christian. Well, you're not through believing. Are you? A Christian believer keeps on believing. We just don't say one day back there 20 years ago, I believed and accepted Christ, and that's the end of it. No, that's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. You keep on believing. You keep on stepping. You keep on getting stronger. You keep on dealing. You keep on winning. You keep on going. You keep on scoring. And the only way you can do that is to have hope. You know what hope is? Hope is belief with legs on it. Your legs. If you're not walking in faith and hope, you're not going anywhere. If you're not walking in faith and hope, you're not really believing. If you're just standing still, if you're apathetic, if somehow you're stuck and won't do anything about it, then you don't really have faith and you really don't have hope. Because hope comes from faith and hope is belief, your belief with legs on it. But what happened to David? It's an amazing, happy ending story. He reclaimed everything, his faith. Though many other things happened to him in his life, he always turned to God for hope and for cope. Now what about you? When God looks on this audience today, he looks at us as a group, but he also looks at us individually. And God knows what's happening in your heart. He knows you. He knows your life. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. He can be in a thousand or a million people's lives simultaneously. He's powerful. <clears throat> He's compassionate. He brings hope. But you have to cast that vote. Remember that little story I told you a moment ago? You've got to cast that vote. You've got to make the decision to put your hope and trust in him. And one way you begin is, is the power of prayer. You pray. I need cope. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for changing me. Thank you for the future. Thank you for today. You pray and you believe. And that's how you live a life of hope. So I want to pray with you. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a tremendous song, Change My Heart, O God. But before we do that, I'd like to pray with you and for you for a moment. So would you bow your head? Would you bow your head with me? And I want to ask you privately, since everybody's head is bowed, this is between you and me because I'd like to pray with you and for you. But you'd say, Pastor, I'd like you to include me somehow in your prayer today about hope and cope. And if you would like me to remember you, not by name, of course, but I remember you. Would you raise up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. Remember me. Remember me in your prayer. Thank you, many of you. Dear Father, in Jesus' name, the source of our hope, I pray that each of us who raised our hands will cling and trust to you 
for hope. Lord, help us in our situations in life, things that are draining us. Lord, help us, renew us, and refill us. Help us to overcome. Help us to come clean. Help us to get right. Help us to look to you and trust you. You're our power. You're our hope. And Father, I pray that you'll help each of us to confess our sins and get our conscience clean. Lord, I pray that you'll help each of us to take the next step and follow Jesus all the way, completely and totally, and live for him. And Lord, we pray this prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name because I know it's in that name that there's power and there's strength and there's certainty, and there's hope. Amen, and amen, and amen. May God bless the teaching of his word today and multiply it. And I want to thank those of you who are watching by Facebook today that you will take this message and share it and let someone else hear the good news about new hope and new cope. And we thank you for being with us today.